If you have your Bibles, be turning to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. As we said, it'll be uh, Luke chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 32. And this is commonly referred to as the parable of the, of the prodigal son. And it's probably one of the better well-known parables. Um, and I think if we are probably honest with ourselves, it's probably a parable that we can all relate to. Whether it was us going into a, a far land at some point in, in our life, or as we'll see as we get into it, if maybe you could relate to the older brother in this situation, um, where maybe at some point in time you feel like you've done what you needed to do, you've been obedient, um, maybe it's at work, you know, you feel like you're deserving of a promotion, and you've got a coworker who you feel like, feel like may be unworthy, and then they get the promotion, and then how do you feel? Do you feel jealous? Do you feel angry? as we'll see how this other older brother felt as we go through the parable. So I think it's something, it's a story that we can all relate to um, if, if we, as I read through it, if we can try to put ourselves somewhere in, in the text here. It is a bit of a lengthy read, but I want to first read it in its entirety, and then we'll go back and start looking at the scriptures. But beginning in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that, that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a city, citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and come to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. 
and you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is now found. So when you look at this this parable, you really have three characters within the parable. You may get different opinions on who is the the main character, uh, depending on which way you look at it, but I think oftentimes we look at it as being the prodigal son. And oftentimes we say the prodigal son, and we even sing the song as God is calling the prodigal to come without delay. What do we mean when we say prodigal son? What does prodigal mean? It means uh, spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Lavish, he was trying to trying to live above his means, and uh, he ran out of means, didn't he? But uh, that's what he means, is he's living basically in a far land away from God. And then, so you have, you have the two brothers, and then you also have the older brother, the eldest brother. And we can only assume, based on what we see here, that there's only two sons. Uh, we're not told that directly, but that's what's implied as you look at the parable. But the older brother is often referred to as a pouting or jealous brother. And we can see that as we uh, read towards the end of the parable and as we'll get further into it. But the father is a waiting father. He's a forgiving father. And while the sons represent humanity in the parable, the father represents God in the parable, as we'll see. And the younger son denotes those who openly and with, with a spirit of rebellion depart from God. And many commentators, as you read, have said that, you know, it's almost implied that, Je- that, that Jesus was thinking about the sinners and the tax collectors um, when he was thinking about the younger brother. The far country is a state of estrangement from God. And one is when whenever we're away from God, we're basically in a far country. Um, we're far into, we're far into God. Psalm ten four tells us the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. In Ephesians two twelve and thirteen, it says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, and have no hope and without God in the world. So the wasting of the resources here, it suggests that living out outside of the fellowship of God is a waste. And it, it is basically a waste of our life if, if we're outside of God. And in Matthew sixteen twenty six. It tells us, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And we think about that, and we think it's oftentimes an obvious answer that, hey, we won't give anything in exchange for our soul, but it happens every day. Whether it's the goods of this of this world, or whether it's putting family over God, or 
our jobs over God, all that is in exchange uh, for our soul, the righteous living as we see with the younger son here. So I think as we go through this and we get into the text, there's lessons we can learn by looking at it from the perspective of all three characters, the older son, the younger son, and also the father. But any questions or comments uh, before we get further into it? So I think it's fairly obvious here as we talk about the text that financially speaking, I think we're dealing with a pretty well-to-do family here. Uh, We're talking about servants. The man has servants. Uh, the man has enough means to, to give his son or divide it among his sons and his son go into a far land. So I don't think we're talking about just a little bit of inheritance here. It sounds like that, that there was a, a good little bit. And in Luke fifteen twelve, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. So the younger son asked for his inheritance. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at, let's look at that, Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17. Can you read that for us, Jeremy? Okay. And what I wanted wanted us to see here is that the younger son is the one that asked for inheritance, but what was the older son entitled to? A double portion. So that means that the younger son got a good bit less than the than the older son, right? And just an example that you can think of, when was a time that you can think of that someone sold their birthright and sold the double fortune? That's right, Jacob, Jacob and Esau. And he sold it for what, Roger? The bowl of stew, wasn't it? Yeah, he sold it for a bowl of stew. And... uh so that's something to, to lose your, your birthright over is a bowl of soup. But I guess when you're hungry, you're hungry, right? So got to have that bowl of stew. And that's so true because a will is read not before somebody dies, right? It's, it's afterwards. And that's normally when the inheritance occurs. And we know um, in Hebrews, and I don't remember the exact chapter and verse. I think it's in chapter 9, though. It's talking about it's either 9 or 11 without the death of a testator, a testament is not in place. And the same thing is things have to happen in an order, and that's the way it's supposed to happen. But like you said, looking for a shortcut, and I think even more and more in today's society we're looking for shortcuts um, because, man, it's, you know, you got a microwave, you got cell phones. We want everything instant. We don't want to wait for nothing. And, yes. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me because I saw it played, I guess, with Donald Trump dancing with his wife over the weekend to the song, I Did It My Way. The the, the son wants to do it his way, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I know better. I'm going to do it my way. And that's not a shot against Donald Trump, by the way. But anyway, it says, Having received such, he went into a far country and wasted his substance in righteous or prodigal living. Let's look back at verse 13 of Luke chapter 15. And it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. 
So it's like he almost had this thing planned out, right? Not many days after. So, okay, I've got what I want. Now I'm going to go. I'm going to do it my way. He didn't have to. No, he could have said wait. Um, and you don't know. Maybe he thought, hey, it was going to teach the boy a lesson, and, and it did, you know. And maybe, the, you know, the same is true with us today. I mean, we tell God sometimes, I know best, I'm going to do it my way. And he lets it teach us a lesson sometimes, doesn't he? And I think that that's what's being represented here is, um, you know, hopefully we don't get caught up in that lesson and not come back before it's everlasting too late. But sometimes you need to hit the bottom before you can go back up. And that's exactly and that and that's something that we're going to bring out is God doesn't force us to come to him, does he? He gives us a choice, and that's basically what this son was given was a choice. But it says after a while, because of deplete, depleted funds and famine, the younger son began to be in want. And it says in verse 14, but he went and spent all, and there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in, in want. So when his money ran out, as it says, he you know he had the he was with the harlots and all those, he ran out of friends and he he ran out of the basics needed to survive, didn't he? And um, I'm sure we all have heard the term fair weather friends. That that's what he had because hey, when the money's gone, his friends were gone, and that's when you really find out who your true friends are is when times are tough. Who sticks by you? But but when you're living that kind of lifestyle, it's maybe it's not about commitment. Maybe it's about, hey, let's, let's live big and move on. And that's exactly what his friends did. Yeah, but sometimes we know you've got to learn things on your own. And, and I think, you know, if you think back to some of the things that we did, you just, you know, I'm sure we've all often said, I hope my kid doesn't do half of maybe of what I did, you know, or whatever. But, you know, we've been there, we've done those same, same things, but in, you can't always tell somebody. Sometimes you got to experience it for yourself. Well, you know, and we're going to see, and that's where we're at. You know, he, he joined himself to a citizen here and basically become like a hired servant, and he hit rock bottom because chances are he was probably a Jew. And what was he sent out to do? Feed the pigs. And what was a pig to a Jew? Unclean animal. So I guess to him, you know, he, he was at the bottom. Couldn't get much lower as a Jew, right, to be out feeding the pigs. And then not only that, he was wanting to eat what was being fed to the pigs because he didn't have anything to eat. So, yeah. So he, he probably needed a bath or two and a change of clothes and he needed to stop by Chris's house and get his clothes washed once a week and that, that kind of thing. Right, Chris? Yeah, and I'm sure you've heard the expression, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, right? Yeah. But it says he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, Luke 15:16. But I think it's interesting. Let's look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, so he came, he come to this realization on his own. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? So he's thinking, okay, I had son status. 
I went out on my own. I blew it. I just want to go back and be like one of the servants because, man, they have it way better than I have it right now. So he went from pretty high living, as we said, to pretty, pretty low living. Absolutely. He wanted to do the work just so he could have a decent meal. And I think, you know, as Jim indicated, you know, separating from oneself from God is never clear thinking. And that's exactly what we see with, with here is this son didn't have clear thinking when he went off and blew his money, his inheritance is actually his dad's money in a far land. But I think to his credit, nowhere in the parable do we say or see that he tried to blame someone else, did he? He took responsibility. So I think he was learning his lesson, and maybe that, you know, and I think that's the intent of that, you know, is sometimes you got to learn the hard way, as we said. And so let's give him credit for not trying to blame his friends or somebody else for the condition that he's in. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's possible we're not told, but uh, but he did learn. And as we mature, there's a lot of things we've learned in life, too. Yep. And I know I've, you know, been fortunate with my kids, and I think a lot of us have, but you also hear a lot of parents talk about, you know, I was the coolest dad in the world up until my kid was about 13 or 14 years old. Then it's amazing how stupid I got between their ages of 14 and about 20 or 21. Then all of a sudden I'm smart again, you know, because just like this son, a lot of times our kids think they know better at that age, right? I'm sure I see a lot of people smiling, probably can relate to that in some way. But he acknowledged that he would do what if he remained in a far land? He acknowledged that he would perish, right? He knew that his condition wouldn't be good. So we can see in Luke 15, 18, that he resolved on his own to go back home. It says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So the son believed that his father would at least receive him back as a servant, right? He wasn't looking to go back home and say, okay, I want to be, I want my son's status back. He was just looking for servant status. And he knew or felt like the father would, would at least accept him as that. But the father, as I think Jim alluded to a minute ago, was evidently watching, hopefully, for the son's return because we're told that the father saw him at a great distance. Let's look at verse 20. It says, And he arose and come to, to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. He had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So even though he never stopped loving his son, he never attempted to try to force his son to come back home. But evidently, as we said, he was looking for him. And there's lessons in that for us too because God never forces us to come to his church or to come back home. Although he wants us to, he never stops loving us. He doesn't force his will upon us. And the same thing here, the father didn't force his will upon, him, upon his son, although he was forgiving of him when he come back home, and God is forgiving of us when we come back home. And I was reading uh, an article related to this, and it was talking about you know how sometimes we think and we see people go forward and repent, and maybe we've seen them do it multiple times. 
and how sometimes we may get the attitude of thinking, well, I wonder how long it's going to last this time, you know. But it's not up to us to judge. And, and our status doesn't change. Like you, like you said, when we come back, we're restored to that full status. You know, God forgives and forgets. Now, there are consequences. I'm sure that this son here is not going to ever receive another inheritance. And there's probably going to be that consequence to his actions. But still, he can go right back into favor with his father, right, as we see that he did. It says, The father ordered the son clothed with the best robe, a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and he also ordered that the fatted calf be slaughtered. He says, For his son was dead, and now he's alive, and he's home. Let's read again Luke 15, 22 through 24. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Again, he probably hadn't been by Chris's house to get his clothes washed, so he probably needed clothes. Put put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, but he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So, you know, he didn't have probably shoes, didn't have the clothes. The far land had left a mark on him, right? And that's normally what sin does. Sin will leave a mark of some type on us. Um, when we do go off into that far country. Also, the ring may have been a signet ring. And what would that indicate as he was coming back home and he was given a ring? It normally in that time would indicate like a symbol of authority in the house. So it meant that, hey, he's not a servant. He has authority in the house because he has a signet ring that he is a person of authority. And then the fatted calf had been saved for a special occasion, and it's always a special occasion when a lost child returns back to God. It's worth having a celebration. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then it says, the father grants him full recognition as my son. You see in the beginning of 1524, or this my son was dead and is alive again. So, he, he gained a lot more status than what he thought he would get. And while away, the father, as it says, while away from the father, the boy was lost. He was considered dead. And separation from God is also spiritual death for us. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. In 1 Timothy 5.6 but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. So basically, if you're not a child of God or if you've been a child of God and you fall away, you're nothing more than a dead man walking because spiritually you're as dead as you can get if you're not in favor with God. There's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it as we're going to see now as we move into talking about the older brother who thought he had earned it. So... It says, when the older brother learned of the festivities, he was angry. He would not go in the house. The father actually came out and had pleaded with him, as we'll see as we read back through it here. But he was jealous, and as we said, we described him as the pouting older, older brother. That's basically what he was doing. He was jealous of his brother. But let's read again 25 through 29. 
Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may uh, make merry with my friends. So when you look at it here, you can only think that Jesus had the Pharisees and the scribes in mind when he was talking about the older brother here. Um, hey, I've done everything right. And that's basically a lot of times what they thought. And it was more the outer appearance of going through the acts. But, you know, their inward was not in favor always with God. And neither was always their outer acts. It says he claimed to, to never have been disobedient, and we know this is not true. And talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, let's turn over to Matthew 23. Let's read uh, 3 and 4. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, and do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And then let's drop down to 25 through 28 in chapter 23. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they have full extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So he said, hey, you're like a Sunday Christian. You're among the Christians, the faithful. Yeah, it's for show, but how are you living the rest of the week? And that's not exactly what's being said here, but that's basically what, what he's saying is, you know, on the outside, you're given the appearance of being right, but inside, you're corrupt, you're dirty. And moving right along, because we are running out of time, it says, and going back to Luke fifteen thirty one. and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. And again, going back to the fact of he, he gets a double portion, you got, you got to put that in context with what he's being told here, all that I have is yours, and go back to verse 12. Because when the younger son asked for his portion, what does it say happened in verse 12? It says, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to who? to them his livelihood. So the older son saying, hey, you've never done anything for me, but let's go back to verse 12. He got a double portion here. He was already blessed too with all that the father had. So was he thankful for what he had been blessed with? It doesn't appear so, does it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and just like the father probably knew the younger son's heart and condition, he probably also knew the, the elder's heart and condition here. And he's saying, hey, don't put yourself up here. But he's also what he's doing, and he knows that the, the, the older son is jealous and angry, but he's still saying, hey, I want you to come in. I want you to come back. I want you to be a part of this celebration. And the Lord is telling us the same thing. You may have jealousy, you may have anger, you may not have lived just right, but whether you're like the younger son or the older son, I want you to come back. I want you to be part of this celebration. And I had a, a bit more that we could go through, but I think that's probably at a good stopping point, and I think we have the point of this parable, so appreciate your time and attention.